Welcome to the Dwelling Podcast. We're so glad you tuned in. Our hopes is that this message inspires you and builds your faith today. Like I said, so we're starting a new series today. It's called Questions. You ever had questions to ask and you're like, I'm not getting the answers I want or I'm not even getting any answers. Well, this is about answering some of your questions about the Bible and different subjects. So that's what we're going to do today. We've had so many questions. So many. We've pulled you. We've asked you to send you to send us your questions. And I don't know how many we had, except that a lot. Many, many, many questions. Uh, we had some great ones. Actually, most of them were great. And some were a little more... A little more random, like, um, can you answer questions about dinosaurs? Well, go see Jurassic World. That might answer a few ones. Actually, don't go see it. It's a boring movie. Wait till it comes out on, I was going to say on Blu-ray, on VHS. Just kidding, guys. Just want to mention my age here. The three other questions were like, relationships, we're going to start with that today. In a couple weeks, we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts. And also... Gender and sexuality. So that's going to be, those questions are going to be answered. Hopefully you'll, you'll recognize the question, okay? And there's a bunch of them where we might have to do some rapid fire questions and answers in a few weeks. Like I said, dinosaurs, they were great. Uh, I'll stay. It was awesome. Chicken. Those questions we'll answer quickly. We'll be doing that. So, having said that, are you guys ready for today? So three questions specifically. And the first one is about singleness. A guy that's been married 32 years, met his wife when he was 20, is going to talk about singleness. So what does he have to say about this, right? I have a few things I can say, but the Bible has a lot to say about it. So I'm not going to be sharing only my opinion. We'll be sharing about what the scripture says about it. Okay? Because my opinion, who cares about my opinion? It's my opinion, and I would like to share it. That's what we're, what we're going to do. We're going to be looking at scriptures, and then we're going to believe and submit to what it says, right? So singleness is a great thing. The church, the church has made a big emphasis on marriage, and it should. I mean, it's a great thing. God instituted the marriage back in the garden when there was two of them. So marriage is a great thing. Family is great. And, you know, in, in a lot of churches... We put a big emphasis on that. And some people are like, well, I'm not married. I don't really have kids in the family. Well, where do I fit in all this? The issue is that the church has always championed marriage and family on a very high level. So then some people get to think, even married people, it's like, well, singleness maybe is a, you know, second rank thing. It's a plan B from God. It's a less than that God allows us to live in, but, you know, it's to test us out. Well, that's, that's not it at all. It's not because the church has made a big emphasis on this that there's no value to singleness. There's value in every single situation that we live, whether single or married, with kids or no kids. God doesn't care about the distinctions that we make because that's not how he thinks. That's not how he 
created us. So singleness is not, should not be seen as a, I'm going to say a hard word here, deficiency of social skills or spiritual life or trust in God. I should hear some amens from a few of you here because God does not consider, consider singleness as a deficiency at all. Hey, if you're single, maybe you're, you know, you like that old U2 song, you still haven't found what you're looking for yet. For all people over 45, the other ones is like, U2, is that, is that a book? Okay, come to me after, I'll tell you what that is. And that's okay. I've heard many times people tell me, well, maybe my standards are too high. That's why I haven't found the person. I'm like, what? Oh, if you're looking for somebody that's God-loving, spirit-led, people-serving, church-attending, positive-minded, bondage-free spouse, don't lower your standards. Don't. And here's what the Bible says about that. The pas- I like the Passion Translation on Proverbs 21.9. It says this. And, and here's why I say this. Some people in, in their... In their singleness, may feel, you know, the solitude and the loneliness. And I get it. So normal. At the same time, the Bible says, don't lower your standards. Don't, don't kick that away. Because it's better to live alone in a rickety shack than share a castle with a crabby spouse. That's, that's pretty rough, right? That's a pan, passion translation, Proverbs 21.9. That verse is not only mentioned once, it's mentioned twice in the Proverbs. The other one says this, it's better to live in a rundown shack than to share a castle with a crabby spouse. Don't lower your standards because you haven't found the person yet. I say yet. Right? Don't lower those standards. Not worth it. Not worth it. But here's the thing. We also believe that whether you're still waiting on your spouse or you feel called to singleness, because I've met some people that have told me, it's like, I believe I've been called to be single for the rest of my life for different reasons. And I'm like, okay. Might not be your case, but if it is, Remember, it is not a deficiency. There's nothing wrong with singleness. And if you have a problem with that, well, then you have a problem with Scripture. You also have a problem with the the Apostle Paul. He says this. So Paul, in the letter to Corinthians, addresses many issues, and he says this one. Now, now that I've talked about different subjects, let me address another one, basically. That's what he says. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say this. It is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. I did not expect an amen of this scripture. I get it. But Paul says, it's okay. If God has called you to singleness, or if you're in a season of singleness, there's nothing wrong with it. Like any season, they pass. 
Well, except, uh, you know, summer in Savannah <laughs> or winter in Savannah. You know, it gets a little colder, but not really cold. Sorry, this guy from up north still knows this. Paul says, what Paul is saying is not like, this is how it's got to be. If you're single, you got to stay single. No, 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 no. He's basically just saying, hey, it's been working for me. I've been single and it's been working for me. I've traveled the world. I've seen kings. I've seen islands. I've served God. I've written the many epistles. By being single, I get to do what I need to do, what I want to do when I'm called to do it. And I don't have to think about anybody else than just answering God's call in my life. Imagine I've been married 32 years. I'm like, hey, Chantal, I love you, girl. But right now, I just feel God is calling me to, you know, go travel Europe right now and just spread the gospel there. I'll see you in six months. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, exactly. No, that's not how it would go. Trust me. No, that's not how it would go, right? I can't decide to do that if I'm, but you can if if you're in a season of, of single. I'm not trying to convince you it's a great season. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am trying to convince you, and I hope the Holy Spirit is doing this part, is that God wants to use you in this season. Your singleness doesn't define you. It is a state of being as of now, but it doesn't define who you are. You're a child of God. He has plans for you. You can make a difference in this world, whatever the season is, whether it's being married or single. Here's what I could say. If you're in that season of singleness, and the Bible has nothing against it, even mentioned it's pretty good, remember this. As God works in you in this season, let him mold you to be the person that you can be got nobody else to answer to. Take time to believe and have God tell you what needs to be worked on this, in this season of your life. Let him help you become the one that somebody's looking for. Right? I know it's not an easy answer. But still, married people, don't look down at people that are single or what's wrong with them? I can't, how come they're still single? Oh, I've Kick that thought out of your life, out of your thought process. Scripture tells us, right? It's good. It's okay. It's working. There's nothing wrong with anyone. I mean, actually, there is something wrong with every single one of us, right? We're all a little off the charts to some degree. Okay, no amens on this one. Okay, so I'll, I'll keep on on myself for this one. But we're all a little off a little bit. All of us. And that's why we should be helping each other grow in this season, whatever the season is. And Pastor Gunner wrote me this, and he wants me to tell you this. It's like this Pastor Gunner was saying, okay? As a pastor, I want to learn how to better pastor single people. I need input. And as a church, we will be a place that honors singleness values it and serves those that are single as well as those that are married. So if you're in a singleness season, don't hesitate. Be Pastor Garner. Tell it. I don't know what it's all like. Pastor Garner, Garner 
doesn't know all of it either. So don't hesitate. We, we want to learn as a church how to better serve you and also create more space where God can actually use you. Amen? That was question one. You ready for question two? What do healthy boundaries look like? That's a good question. I agree. I agree. To be human is to be limited anyways, right? So we actually need boundaries. All of us need boundaries. Hey, if we don't, if we don't have those boundaries, it could be a drain. It could deplete your energy, your finances. It could deplete you, your spiritual life. So no boundaries is not good. Countries have boundaries. Buildings have boundaries. Oceans have boundaries. Yeah, yeah, we all do. It's normal. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. A lack of boundaries might actually be not only not good, it may may come to a certain degree where you might resent other people or they're still here again. Because you haven't put some clear boundaries around you. So boundaries are normal. They're good. God has intended them. That's a norm. Hey, a lack of boundaries for you can, can put your family and yourself and, you, and your couples at risk. So that's important to do so. So here's a few biblical examples of boundaries that God ordered from, from the get-go. Sabbath, for example. Rest is a boundary. Ah, I've been working so hard, man. I haven't taken a vacation in two years. So? Don't take pride in not taking vacation. Sabbath, a day off, a moment of rest, mind rest, emotional rest, physical rest. Spiritual rest is a boundary that God instituted. So God believes that boundaries are normal and they're good and therefore are good. Right? So God has been doing this. So there's four major reasons why we should put boundaries in our lives. Okay? Very easy. Very easy. The first one is to keep out. Think of a fence around your house. Keeps out the neighbors from deciding to barbecue on your lawn, in your backyard. <laughs> Unless you're cooking for me, it's a New York strip, medium rare, please. Unless it's that, get off, get out of my backyard. Right? I was the kid that went in everybody's backyard when we played hide and seek. I was that kid. I was that kid, man. Everywhere except my backyard was the best place to hide, right? I was also the one that Mrs. Lavallee ran after us with a broom, literally. Get out of here, okay? And us kids weren't really nice. So boundaries are to keep out what is supposed to be out. Second one, boundaries are there to keep in what should stay in. Your dog, your kids, except my mom didn't tell me that one, but you put a fence around your, around your yard because you don't want your kids to just go 
run in the streets. Go talk to anybody. So not only is it good to keep out what's not supposed to be coming in, but it's also good to keep in the stuff that should stay there. Those emotional boundaries are the same. Things that are bringing you life, you keep them in. You keep them in your life, but if there's stuff in your life that should be, hey, I don't want this in my life. Let it out. Don't, don't keep it. Keep it out, actually. All oh, those friends, man, I'm like, they're bad friends for me. Boundaries is like, well, they're bad friends for you. Guess what? They're not your friends then. By definition, a friend's not a bad friend. Could be a good one. Third one, as the great philosopher Elsa said, let it go. How many of you heard the song in your heads? Ha! I'm sorry you're going to have it in your head all day from now on. I'm so happy about this one. Yeah, but boundaries are also there to let out what's inside that should go out. I've had bad habits. And all of a sudden, I know that it's not good for me. I need the little door in the fence, so I I need to let it out now because I can't keep what's bringing me down. So it was there, but now I got to let it out. So boundary, a healthy boundary will let out what is not doing you any good. Fourth reason why you have a boundary is to let in what's, what's supposed to be coming in. If you, if you invite your friends over to your house, but you have a, you know, a full fence with no door, how are they going to come in? They're either going to be breaking in or whatever, right? That's what, that's what we say. So you have to let in what's supposed to be letting in. You know the people that sh- you should allow in your, in your life? The people that will speak life into you or not necessarily tell you what you want to hear. Ooh. But they will tell you what you need to hear, though. But I don't feel like helping them. You know, in the, in, there's a flip side to boundaries, and I just want to address it a little bit. In the name of self-care, sometimes we put boundaries that we call healthy that are not. Okay. To make sure I was going to say this one correctly, I wrote it down. Okay. It says this. You can't just avoid responsibility and call it a boundary. I think you've had a conflict with somebody. You don't want to resolve it. Okay, thank you. I've got one on my side here. <laughs> had a conflict with somebody, and they just bring you anger, and you're like, frustration. That's not fun, I know. And then you say, oh, it's a healthy boundary, so I don't have to deal with them anymore. No, that's avoiding your responsibility of going to them and making things okay. Yeah, but I got to take care of myself. Of course you do. Of course you do. But our lives are not meant to create false boundaries that cannot be sustained and will bring you down. Avoiding conflict is not setting a healthy boundary. It's just avoiding human contact. I mean, 
honest. Jesus did say there was going to have troubles in this world. It does say about iron against iron sharpens each other. Create some, what do you call this? Sparks. Yeah, but it makes us better as well. So just avoiding conflict and avoiding people for no reason doesn't create a healthy boundary because you've got to open the door to what needs to be open so you can resolve it so then it's okay. If you're, not, if you're not totally careful, you'll put boundaries up that will lock out any voice, any voices that should be coming into you. The ones, and then at one point you'll only listen to what you want to hear. So healthy boundary will allow you to open the doors to what you needs to be open to and close to what it should be close to. And at the same time, never avoiding any sense of responsibility because we got to own up as Christians, as being mature, as being loving people, you know, our part of our lives is to be loving and caring and, and dealing with other people around us. Jesus himself stopped. He took time to be alone. He also let people in his bubble. He did all of that. He also knew when it was time to stop. He also faced the people that, I know you're not Jesus and neither am I. I know, I know. But that's a really good example to follow though. It is something that the Holy Spirit wants to bring you up to and let you grow. Fences without a gate are not healthy. So be willing to open the gates of your boundaries when God leads you to. And if you're not totally sure how to build all of these gates, all of these boundaries around you, and it's not always easy. I get it. I get it. And I say, just ask a mentor of yours. I'm trying to build this thing around me just to, to protect me and to keep out what should be kept out and to keep in what I should be keeping in. Is, is, this, is this okay? Is this, is this healthy? Ask somebody that knows you. Not only necessarily somebody that will agree with you. Okay? But somebody that knows you. Ask a mentor. Dare, dare I say, ask a coach. Maybe he's going to help you with that one. I'll just take that. Knowing that every situation is different and boundaries are different. I love people. I would see people just about every day. My wife, not necessarily. We're just wired a little differently on this one. There's people. <laughs> I'm like a golden retriever, people coming in, right? And that's okay. I'm just, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy when that happens. I get energy when I see people. So I have to set a boundary not only for me, but also for, for our couple. I can't see people every day. Because it, was, it will deplete my wife. Because that's not how she is normally in, in wired. So that's why sometimes you need to get some people around you and they tell you, like, are you, are you sure? Is that, is that good? Come on. Is it okay? How do you, you think this is healthy? Do you think this is a good spiritual um, boundary around me? Well, come on. The miraculous moments in our lives happen when we put the good boundaries around us. Because then we let the people in that should be coming in. And we let the people out that should be going out. And then we create fence. So if you want a miracle, you know, if the miraculous in your life, think about it. What boundaries do I need to 
and force today. At the same time, what boundaries do you need to relax a little bit? Good way of knowing is like, I know I should, but I don't want to. So it's easier for me to just say no. If you know you should, don't say no. Just go for it. Go slowly, but just go for it. Resolve the situation, whatever that may be. Okay? Because this brings us to our last question of today. And it came in three different forms. I'll just read the question straight out. How can I truly forgive? How do I know I have forgiven someone? And the last question that came with that was, do I have to forgive? So, depending who you are, depending the season you're in, depending on the people that are around you, you're like, I don't want to know. I really don't want to know. And I don't care to know. That's why I call it a three-step process in my family. I don't know, don't want to know, don't want to know. Okay? At the same time, I would say this is a boundary that you want to open up. Okay? Um, here's what forgiveness is not. It's not a free pass for people to do whatever for, against you. Okay? Well, I got to forgive. You know? Really? Yes. You have to forgive. Sure. Oh, he's done it again. Well, I got to forgive, you know? Oh, your son has been doing the same stupid things for the last six months. I got to forgive. Yes, of course. Help him shoot him straight a little bit. Oh, that person has been really nasty to me. They've been... You know, their words are so poisonous in my life. But I got to forgive. Yes. So forgiveness is not a free pass for, for whoever to do whatever to anyone. That's not it. Okay, that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is not affirming that what something did was not wrong. When you tell somebody, I forgive you, it doesn't, it doesn't negate the fact that what they did to you was wrong. It was wrong. That's why you forgive. If it was okay, you don't forgive something that's good. You say, thank you. Right? But you forgive something that was wrong on you. Okay? So forgiveness is not affirming that what they did was okay. Not true. It's not agreeing with any action. And it's certainly not reminding continuously the past dead or rations or words that the person did to you. I remember when you did this to me? Because I remember. Oh, do I remember? Let me go get all my 15 books of the notes I took of the things you did to me. That's not forgiveness either. Yeah, that's not forgiveness. And forgiveness is not demanding. You can't tell someone, oh, you know what? You should ask for forgiveness right now because you wronged me right now. I'm not sure if I'll forgive you. Oh, you may not say those words, but the whole attitude and the whole spirit behind it is there. You can't demand somebody to ask forgiveness unless you're playing a game and you're, you know, say, call mama or whatever. That's okay, but that's a whole different game. What forgiveness is, though, it's a choice. This is a part that I know this is not fun, okay, but I'll, I'll say it anyways. Because I believe that you want to be more like Jesus. 
I believe that you want to let the Holy Spirit talk to you. I believe that after talking about Ephesians for seven years, we're getting mature in our faith. So I will tell you that forgiveness is a choice. It's not a feeling. I don't feel like forgiving you. Forgiveness is not about how I'm feeling about it. I've used some examples here of people in my own life that wronged me like crazy. And I had at one point to decide to forgive. Did I like it? No. Did I feel like it? No. Did I want to? No. Did I feel like doing all the opposite of that? Yes, and some. Forgiveness is not about how we feel. It is a choice that we make. It is a position that we take. It is a land in the sand that we draw and we say, I forgive you today. It is a personal choice. Nobody needs to force you into forgiveness. It is also a spiritual choice. We'll talk a little more on this one in a few seconds. What forgiveness is, it's erasing somebody's debt towards you for something they did to you. That's why it's so hard. Right? It is so hard. We don't want to say, you owe me something for, some, for all the wrong that you've done me, so payback time. Hollywood makes movies on this. Come on. It's like, yeah, they're looking for, seeking for vengeance. And they make a lot of money off of it. Forgiveness is releasing somebody's debt towards you. You owe me? I tell you, you don't owe me anymore. Am I saying I'm okay with it? No, but I'm saying you don't have any debt anymore. You can live in the freedom that God has for you because I'm not going to hold it against you. That's so... But that is Christian maturity in our lives. The Holy Spirit talking to us and saying, okay, I'll submit to that part. He owes me though. Yeah, God will take care of him. God will take care of her. And believe that they'll answer to his call of forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. And maybe begging for mercy for what they did to you. But forgiveness is erasing the debt they have. Isn't that just... What love is, though, holds no grudges, releases. Wow, no much amens on this one. It's either the heat or this is no fun. I'll just believe it's the heat, okay? But I also know it's no fun. But forgiveness brings only freedom to the person that's his death is, is done with. It brings freedom to you because you don't have to live in the bitterness. You don't have to live in the, in the hatred. You don't have to live in that gunk and that, all of that, blah, no words for it, keeps you up at night, I see him everywhere I go, I know he drives that car, he has a car just like that, really, he's not even thinking about you anyways, free, give him freedom to let God do what he has to do in his life or her life. And let God bring the healing within you. 
and bring you the freedom that you need as well. Because forgiveness is an action. <laughs> Giving the one who offended you the freedom he always has for them. And free, that's what forgiveness is. Do I have to forgive? Great question. Let's, let's answer this one together. So there's this, we're going to read a, a long portion of scripture, okay? It's in um. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 21 to 35. I'll read it, and I'll just believe that God through Scripture has something to tell us, every single one of us, okay? Matthew 18 is, um, it's a, you know, the context is everything, because Jesus was talking about, was telling stories. And the first story that he's talking about in that chapter is all about uh, who is the greater one in the kingdom, and Jesus says, oh, the greatest in the kingdom will be the servant of them all. He'll be like, like this kid in the middle of us. That's the greatest in the kingdom. And then he goes on and he continues telling stories. And all of a sudden he says, well, here's the, the kingdom of God is like a, a shepherd that has a hundred sheep. And one goes away. And he leaves the 99 and he goes for the one. We can look at this in many different ways. But this is also, the parable is also talking about how he will do anything to bring you back. And this is important because if you just take this little story just outside of what it's actually talking, it changes everything. Because right after he talks about how to restore broken relationships. And right after, the Bible tells us this. So Matthew chapter 18. It says, then, so after a while, so they've been talking, they've been sitting down. Peter's been thinking. Okay, the greatest in the kingdom, you know, it's like a kid, the servant of them all. I'm like, okay, I get it, okay. Mm-hmm. Parable of the lost sheep, that's great. Great story, Jesus. I think I'll use this one at one point. And then it says this. Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, How often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Jewish law was not seven. What what Peter was saying is like, man, do I have to go like double what I'm supposed to be doing? He thought he was being righteous, whatever, I don't know. So up to seven times, Jesus? Got you. See the the grace that you've shown me? I got this. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. What? Your math is wrong, Jesus. I mean, seven times is way more than I'm supposed to. Now you're asking me 70 times seven? What, 500 times a day? Gotta be kidding me. And Jesus goes on. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought, uh, was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. So the Greek word there is just tons of silver, millions of dollars. He 
he couldn't pay. Oh, my master made millions of dollars. I can't pay. So his master ordered that he'd be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, please, be patient with me, please. I'll pay it. I'll promise. I'll pay what I owe. I promise. Then the master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. Remember, this is not just something that's, it is a story that Jesus says that the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. But when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded an instant payment. Pay me right now. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Please, please be patient with me. I'll I'll, I'll pay it. I promise I'll pay it all. He pleaded. But the creditor wouldn't hear it. He wouldn't wait. He, He had the man arrested, put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. When some of the other servants saw this, they were very upset. Very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man. He had forgiven and said, you evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Let me repeat this one. You evil servant, I forgave you for the tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. We could end the story there. Jesus wasn't finished. He's like, I'm going to hammer this nail in correctly. That's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother and your sisters from your heart. I was rereading that yesterday. I gotta say, I did feel that nail somewhere. I was like, wow, is there somebody I haven't forgiven? There's somebody I haven't asked forgiveness for? I don't want that in my life. You erased my whole debt. Oh, there's somebody I should, I'm like that. Chantal was working in the garage. I was alone at my desk, just looking at my, my things. I had tears coming down. Oh. I've read the New Testament 50 times in my life just because I've given my life a long time ago. Not because I'm better than anybody else, just I had more time to read it. And I've read this, I don't know how many times. But all of a sudden, this, this was like, to use Jesus' words, I, don't want, I have to forgive from my heart. It's got to be a, a thoughtful process. I put my, my life into it. That's how forgiveness works. 
Unforgiveness invite, invites demonic influence in your life. It gives an open door to the enemy to come in when he's not supposed to. It gives him access to your feelings, to your emotions, your thought process. It gives him access to you in ways that you can't even imagine. Hey, the Mayo Clinic says this about people that don't forgive. They create themselves some anxiety, higher blood pressure. It heightens depression symptoms. Let me repeat the first three words. It creates anxiety in your life. High blood pressure heightens your depression symptoms, heart problems, hectic relationships. This is not the Bible. It's the Mayo Clinic, one of the most renowned clinics in the States, says that unforgiveness does this in your life. So when we lack forgiveness towards people, we're inviting this in our lives. And I'm sure that's not what you want. Remember when you go in the door in the house and you, you slam the front door and because there's a wind that comes in, it opens the back door? And what happened here? Well, that's what happens when we lack forgiveness in people's lives. We slam the front door, but we're open, opening up another door to have other influences in our lives that are just not good. Remember, the enemy's job is just to steal, to steal kill, and destroy. I'm sure that's not what you want in your life. So should I forgive? Well, I'll just let the scripture answer that one for us. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends, Proverbs 17.9 tells us. That's why Ephesians also tells us this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, it's funny how it says, right? And, and, and not comma. Let all that be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. For if you forgive other people, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Matthew 6. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you closing with this one. Singleness is a, can be a great season in your life. You can build some good boundaries around you that are healthy. And there's forgiveness that should be asked. And there's some for, forgiveness that should be given. Is there somebody that you know that right now is just, you're like, yeah, I, I think there's something I need to do. Not next week, not next week. Not maybe right now. It's like, okay, I, I, need, to, I need to ask for forgiveness. I, I need to give forgiveness to someone. If that is the case, and if the person is in this house this morning, please, I, I plead with you. I plead with you. Before you walk out the door, go. Make things right. Beg for forgiveness if you want to. If somebody comes up to you, give freely. 
that forgiveness that should be given. We want to let the Holy Spirit mold us. What do you need to release this morning? How about we just stand up as a closing prayer? God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us. Thank you for the season of life that I'm in. That might be your prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for that. That I can create some healthy boundaries. And thank you because you've forgiven me. Jesus, talk to us to those that we need to forgive. And to those that we need to ask forgiveness to. We thank you because we can live in a life of freedom. In a life where you give us all that you have for us. We thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you for for a people that want to live like you want them to live. That obey you. A church that is uncommon goes to people and makes them, makes things right. We thank you for your grace. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Everybody says, Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information about The Dwelling, visit thedwellingchurch.org.